0: what makes for a healthy workplace culture? Now, this question gets asked many times, and it gets answered in almost just as many different ways. Welcome Summit Chasers to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast, where we welcome a now good friend of mine, Jim Mayer, who's the host of the Manufacture Culture podcast. He breaks down how you can tell if you have a healthy culture and some strategies you can implement to create that healthy culture. And we dive into some, I want to say some pretty hot topics around going into trades versus traditional education i may or may not have put my foot in my mouth a few times but i will let you decide that for yourselves so sit back get your notebooks out grab a georgie energy drink maybe grab a salmon burger and enjoy the show jim thank you for jumping on my friend uh whether you know this or not good friend of mine i've been on his (laughs) podcast uh the you're the host of the manufacturing culture podcast and founder of tco strategies so very happy to have you my friend
1: yeah thanks for having me zach uh, I've been looking forward to this one, uh, all week. Uh, it, it's popped up as a reminder about a week ago. And I said, all right, I'm excited for this one. I had forgotten that we had booked it, but, uh, when the reminder came up, I was like, dang, this is going to be great.
0: Well, we had booked, you had booked this, like, I think we said it, cause I was on yours about six weeks ago. We were just talking about yeah. that and, and then you booked it, you know, yeah. a month or so in, in advance and then things <laughs> happened. So, but it was a nice yeah. surprise cause I saw it too. I saw Oh, I got Jim today. Yes. Like let's, <laughs> let's go. Like, well, it's nice. This is it's going nice to be a fun you, conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's nice. Like I love talking to everybody. This is my favorite thing. It quickly became my favorite thing about doing these shows is just talking to people, learning, and then just meeting the type of people that you can meet and network with. Yeah. Like I just did an interview absolutely. with uh, Tom Dusenberry who used to be, uh, he's the former CEO of Hasbro interactive. So I interviewed oh the guy that was in charge of my childhood. <laughs> Jim. And I didn't, I didn't know. So I was like, so it's, it's cool. But like, those are the interactions that I love.
1: So it, the old saying goes, you should never meet your heroes. And I don't, I'm not saying that he was necessarily one of your heroes, but did he, did he, as somebody who shaped your childhood, did he live up to the billing?
0: More, more than that. Cause yeah. I didn't, cause when you're a kid, right. You're, you're like, is he, he helped produce Monopoly. Like he was a, <sighs> he's that guy. I know it was, it was amazing. So when I was doing my research on him, you immediately put him on this pedestal. Yeah. So you, uh, and, and when you do that with people, you start to create your own stories of them. Like he must yep. be larger than life, right? It's, but he is the most humble guy. That's and immediately awesome. he had, I had another guest uh, named Liam, his, his episodes live in the startup success series. And he is creating a game. That helps kids with uh, develop communication. Like if they have communication disabilities, autism, Asperger's, that kind of stuff, yeah. the game helps them develop communication skills. So I was like, this would be like Aww. an amazing connection. And right away, Tom very quickly got back to Liam when I connected them. And he's like, here's my email. Let's connect. Like, I want to help. So it's really, so you have a guy That's who's awesome. done that kind of stuff with his life and accomplished that, who then just a random, he's on a random interview, probably just quite a few of them, <laughs> to then take that and and take that you know liam under his wing it's just so cool so yeah i know long story short he definitely lived up to it and then some
1: that's awesome i love that i love that story all right mm-hmm. cool what are we going to talk about today zach
0: that's a great question i was hoping you had that no i'm joking <laughs> no,
1: that was on my show man that, that was on your was, show i'm oh, sorry really i got, I the got the confused, flip. I got yeah, confused. Yeah. i'm not cutting any of
0: this <laughs> by the way um But uh, tell them, I might cut a little bit at the beginning, but that's that's fine. Um, But Jim, so before we get into the the meat and potatoes, tell everybody really quickly a little bit bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so uh, I've been in skilled trades or manufacturing uh, for over 20 years. Um, I dropped out of high school, um, or not high school, sorry. I dropped out of college after one semester finished high school. Um, I tried college for a semester at Arizona state. I, it wasn't for me. Um, I was part of the generation that probably, uh, should have gone to, uh, trade school instead of going, uh, to, to university right out of high school. Right. Um, So I went and spent a bunch of money for a semester and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I left and started doing odd jobs. Um, One that stuck was construction. I built houses. um, And that's how I ultimately got into the skilled trades. I worked for a, a distributor of construction supplies after I was done building houses and uh, that's when I walked in my first machine shop. And man, uh, it was amazing. The sights, the smells, the sounds of a machine shop uh, were quickly in my my blood and uh, haven't left. And that was, yeah, about 20 years ago, 2004, when I walked in my first machine shop. And here we are. Uh, I've done everything from work with distribution to work on the nonprofit side, uh, to work for OEMs, uh, making the, the tooling and the supplies that that machine shops need uh, to start my own company uh, I did a, my own thing for a couple of years part-time on the side and in 2022 had an opportunity to take that full-time make it into a business and I've uh, been working to scale that since and uh, in the process of the last two years started a podcast uh, which we've talked about and you were a guest on the manufacturing culture podcast. So it's been a fun journey, man. Um, I have failed a lot along the way, Uh, made a lot of mistakes, Uh, made some bad choices, uh, people and and substance wise. Um, And uh, here I am at 45 and I feel like I'm in the prime of my life, man. I'm loving every minute of it.
0: I would agree. You look like you're in the prime of your life too. Thanks, well, man. For those of you that are listening, just take my word for it. A gray in the beard, but yeah. Salt and pepper. <laughs>
1: I got I got a haircut once I realized that that I was going to be on this and it was a video. I got a haircut for this. So I'm all nice and trimmed today for you.
0: No, I, app- I appreciate that. I'm sure everybody else appreciates <laughs> it too. But that, 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 you brought up kind of a hot topic was um, the trades right now. Yeah. Like, there's a big shortage of workers going into trades right now. And I actually yeah. did a... I did a talk here in Arkansas. a couple went to a couple of schools and talking about you know there, there's other options other than you know going and spending a bunch of money getting an MBA and that kind of stuff because that's yeah. you know one of our let' um, say passion, but it's one of our messages, right like you can be successful without spending you Absolutely. know getting two hundred thousand dollars in debt but yep. there's a big a big shortage of, of in people going into the trade, so what have you seen where's that at, and what have you kind of seen, especially in the manufacturing industry yeah. or in the world um, How has that affected things?
1: Yeah, so um, the skills gap, as we call it in manufacturing, it's existed as long as I can remember in in this industry. We've talked about it, right? Um, And the, the whole concept behind the skills gap is that by 2030, we're going to be anywhere, depending on what study you look at, uh, 2.4 to 2.5 million machinists short in this country because the baby boomers are retiring and there aren't enough Gen Xers to fill those roles. And uh, the baby boomers and Gen Xers didn't do a good enough job getting younger people interested in skilled trade. So we're facing this massive, massive Machine is shortage, uh, and and it's going to come to fruition uh, as these baby boomers are retiring in the next, you know, four to five years. At this point, um, so we've got this massive massive shortage. Um, there have been a lot of efforts to get younger and younger kids interested in manufacturing, which is wonderful and definitely needs to continue to be an approach. Uh, but the biggest issue is manufacturers, machine shops, they need people now. They they can't wait until uh, somebody who's in sixth or seventh grade right now is in the workforce, right? Because then you're looking at six to seven years, which again, great for the long-term success of the industry, but it's not doing a whole lot to address the issues right now. So uh, there's still a lot of people who Uh, aren't fully able to staff their companies. Um, There are a lot of people who are turning to automation. There are a lot of people who are turning to solutions uh, like I offer in on the cultural side, right? Because uh, if, if you create a a healthy culture, you can then start attracting and keeping people in, in place, right? So there's a lot of different approaches right now to, to solving this. Um, There's no silver bullet, uh, unfortunately, but there's a lot of different uh, solutions that have been put forth and uh, we'll make it. It, It'll just be a lean couple of years uh, until we we start to see a little bit more volume of people graduating uh, and going into the trades automatically.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting ebb and flow of humanity. Like you said, like the baby boomers. They, you know, they a lot of them went into trades, right? Especially like after the war, yeah. Right, a lot of them went into the trades because that was it was very glorified at the time, right? Because they're what kept the machine going. And then their their kind of message was, "I work so hard so that you don't have to, so that I can send you to college to do." So now that's the new the new message. Yep. Go to college, which is great. I'm not saying not, but go to college, get a good job right out of college raise a family and so you don't have to work as i worked hard so you don't have to work as hard exactly right but yep that like this the trades that it keeps it still to this day it keeps the train it keeps the machine going it's that's for all of our parts that's like vehicles uh our, our homes <laughs> like yeah all these pieces were in a like they were manufactured in there. the yep. in, the industry oil gas Say we want about coal, but even everything absolutely everything so if that when that gap happens we're gonna have to in order to keep it going we're either going to have to have more unskilled laborers in there so therefore quality is going to go down or we go to complete automation and we go to complete automation by the time that next generation who is getting into the trades is in there now there's not gonna be any jobs right it's a very interesting <laughs> go ahead. and
1: i'll take it a step further zach um To me, the U.S. was built on the middle class, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the middle class was built on the backs of manufacturing, right? Mm -hmm. And so over the last, I want to say, decade and a half to two decades, we've seen a massive contraction of the middle class. And it follows the same trajectory of the contraction that we've seen in manufacturing in this country. Now, some of that was due to offshoring, right? Mm-hmm. We can't blame parents hundred percent for the contraction of manufacturing and therefore the middle-class in this country because companies got greedy. They were looking for cheaper labor and they sent jobs overseas. Um, that led to A lot of the contraction as well, right? So there's a a multi pronged approach. But in order to truly build the US back into what a lot of people say were our glory days uh, as a country, we have to bring manufacturing jobs back to this country and we have to start staffing those companies with middle class skilled workers. And we will get back to a robust place in this country that is as good of or better than we've ever been. Uh, mm-hmm. Economic standing. Um, there's there's still some other things that need to you know be ironed out uh, mm-hmm. socio uh, wise, but uh, as far as economically, um, we we need to bring manufacturing back to really see this country start to take off in the direction we all want it to.
0: Mm-hmm. This might be an interesting hot take, but it was almost like culturally, you know, that the middle class skilled worker manufacturing, it was almost seen, it's almost seen as not sexy, oh, whereas in, innovation technology that is very sexy. And there was yeah. a great interview, and I can't remember if it was on Joe Rogan's podcast where Elon Musk was talking about, He was talking about the truck, mm-hmm. I believe he was talking about the truck. And how designing the truck, and, and, Joe, and Joe was really pushing them. like, how hard is it to design this and getting everything yep. right, you know, the bulletproof glass and all this kind of stuff. That's sexy. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Spells and whistles. But then Elon Musk made a great point that I think needs to get blasted out a lot more. It's that the, the truly impressive feat is not the design. It's in how you produce it. It's in manufacturing it. Like yeah. that's where it's like when he said, I think he was using like the invention of the car is not as impressive as the invention of the, the manufacturing plant. Like yeah. that was actually I'd much agree. more impressive. Right. So yeah. it's almost like, like how can we make it? How can we make manufacturing sexy again, Jim?
1: <laughs> um well, what we have to do is we have to show it as a sustainable career pathway. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, those words alone aren't sexy per se. Um, but it can help break generational curses. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when we look at disadvantaged communities, um, in any city I'm in Phoenix and we have multiple disadvantaged communities here locally. Right. Um, a job in manufacturing could be a, the difference between a pathway starting at 16 to 20 dollars an hour to getting and getting to 26 to 35 dollars an hour within the first couple years of working versus throwing boxes for Amazon flipping burgers at Burger King right the, these are uh, careers that historically or not historically but in the last 20 years or so have been synonymous with each other right that people Mm -hmm. have looked at jobs in uh manufacturing facilities as synonymous with burger flipping and it's not the same thing it's a very skilled job right and so we need to highlight the skilled part of skilled trades right Mm -hmm. uh so for so long we focused on the the 3Ds, the dark, dirty, dangerous uh, part of manufacturing. We need to get rid of that mindset and start thinking about how these craftspeople are physic- pardon me, physically making things with their hands day in and day out. And that's pretty fucking cool. Pardon my language, but it's pretty fucking cool. Um, and so that's how we make it sexy. We We, we have to take the idea of working with our hands and creating something that's what we have to make sexy again, because that walks hand in hand with
0: manufacturing. There it is. I know I, I, I a hundred percent absolutely agree. And it's so one of the things too, is that it's such character building too. Like we look at all these yeah. people who are successful today, who, you know, have the spotlight and whatever it is, like a lot of them came from tougher. I'm not saying you have to have a tough upbringing or anything like that, but they, like they grind, but they had a season in their life where they had to grind, yeah. where they had to learn these things. And there's really, I, I can't think of much. I mean, there, there's a few that may be compared, but in a manufacturing setting, the amount of skills you can learn, the amount of skills you can develop, whether it's hard yeah. or soft skills, like whether it's, you know, just specifically, you know, like I, I worked with um, like roofing and, and windows, right. And well, yep. those are some of our clients. It's not just, you know, how to put glass into a frame it's not just about right. you know putting the sliders it's not just about that it's all the little skills that you're learning along the way and then having to teamwork like i, yep. I don't i can't think of much else where learning how to work in a team is much more important because if one cogs out of place everybody else is the rest of it's out of place like it, you have to really be able to work together it has to be on the fly communication absolutely um, like the, the skills that you can develop or it's it, really it's insane and if you whether, whether you're just starting out or you want to be, you know, about to be your career, um, I think the, the skills that you develop, just life skills in general that you can develop in that setting is, I mean, it's better than most, probably, well, yeah, most college degrees. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to put my foot in my amount. mouth too much, but
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, uh, college is great. University is great. Let me rephrase that. University is great for some people. But the idea that everybody should go to university is asinine. If anything, I mean, we've heard the talk over the last decade or so about free education, free higher education, free college, free university, right? If you want to make anything free, any politician that's listening to Summit Chasers podcast, if you want to make anything free when it comes to higher education, make it a trade school make it machinist programs, make it carpentry, make it plumbing, make it HVAC, make it electrical, because that those are going to be the foundations for future success. If you start off as a machinist at 18, you go through a two-year or three-year apprenticeship program, if you get your associates and your card-carrying machinist at the end of it, And you turn 30 years old, you're working for a company, you're like, man, I really am now interested in accounting. You've got, to your point, the discipline, the character to go get that advanced degree and you're more focused. It's not going to get a degree just because you think you need to get a four-year degree and then you're bored for the rest of your life. You're in a trade that you love because you've been in it for 10, 9, 10 years at that point but you've found a focus within that trade that you love so much. It may not be operating a CNC machine or working in the quality department or R&D, but if you are in that facility and you have passion for what you're doing, you're going to continue to make a difference.
0: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. No. I And then there's the financial part of it. Like you go oh. to get, just using an MBA as an example, I mean, you're $100,000 to $200,000 in debt. Yeah. You go to a trade school. I, I, offhand, I don't know how much you know going, to, you know, getting a, um, going through your apprenticeship. You also you're working through it the whole time too. Yeah. Like you're not you're paying your way out of debt the whole time, and it's nowhere near as much money. So not just are you educating yourself, getting real life experience, learning all these hard and soft skills. You're making pretty good money too. Absolutely. Like if you're like as like if you're in a you know fourth year, fifth year, apprentice um, uh, electrician. Like you're making $100,000, hundred two hundred thousand dollars a year absolutely like you're not in debt, and then you're learning yeah. these skills, and also there's a lot you probably learn more about business working oh, for I an electric know. a small electrical company, yep than you do an m b a like tangible skills like they yeah. like if you have an m b a okay you, you learn theory on wow. mergers and acquisitions, right, but if you've never done one, yeah like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no offense, exactly. no, like, right? Like you, you don't, you don't know, you don't know how those conversations really go. Like what right. if you, what if you're having to negotiate with somebody who's negotiated 10 other mergers and is a bit of an asshole, woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day, did two other negotiations earlier, earlier that day. This is your first one. All you've read is a textbook, right? What are you going to do? Like you're you, in just, big trouble. you can't, you're in huge yeah. trouble. And then if you're, Again, you get into these trades. Whether you're like my brother's, a, he's a, he's a machinist foreman now, and he he knows more about accounting, more about managing, more about the the importance of flow when you're on an assembly line, when you're working on a line like that, when you, your team has to work together yeah. so cohesively, than most people who work in office jobs and you know have a bachelor's degree and whatever, right? Like Absolutely, yeah. And I'd also like to see the stats on how many people go into trades to pl- do plumbing or Whatever, um construction, carpentry that come out and do plumbing, construction, carpentry, that kind of thing. And then the people that go to college <laughs> get a bachelor of arts and come out and, you know, do that thing. <laughs> that are, or are co-
1: doing plumbing or electrical or construction, right? I mean Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of a lot of times, people are going to university and finding themselves a, in the the service industry. They're finding themselves in the skilled trades industries, the hospitality industry, right? Um, a, a, because there aren't enough accountant jobs out there for everybody who goes to accounting school. There aren't enough uh, theater production jobs for everybody who goes to theater production school. You know what there are enough jobs for? Machinists, right? Every machinist that I know that goes through a program, they end up with a job. And typically, to your point earlier, their career, which or their their college, uh, which is typically about $2,000 a year for an uh, uh, associate's degree, um, typically that's fully paid for by their prospective employer. So their college is paid for, they're to your point, learning while they're earning in apprenticeship programs. They finish their program and they're making twenty six to thirty dollars an hour uh, after three years. So you're tw- you're th- twenty one years old. You're making thirty dollars an hour with zero debt. Sounds pretty sweet to me, right? Yeah. Um, I-, I just. And, and you can even, I, I'm part of an organization here in Arizona. Uh, we, we're called Skill Up Arizona. Uh, it's a apprenticeship and scholarship foundation. So even for those uh, apprentices and, and students who don't have that uh, company already lined up that they're going to go work for, uh, they can apply for a scholarship or apply to be a, become an apprentice through our program. And we will absorb the cost of getting them uh, the learning that they need to be making that $26 30 when they're done. Right. So there are organizations in every state and every municipality that are working towards these goals. That's amazing.
0: How long, when did you start that? Um, I
1: started, uh, I was, Asked to join at the beginning of '23, uh, it, it was an organization that used to be called AZP Map, uh, Arizona Precision Manufacturing Apprenticeship Program. It was a mouthful; nobody could say it. Nobody knew what we did, uh, so we rebranded to Skill Up Arizona at the beginning of '23, um, and actually uh, just. Late last week, uh, they nominated and elected me president of the board for this organization. So I'm uh, now, yeah, thank you. Uh, so now I'm I'm leading the charge here. We're we're going into more disadvantaged communities. We're going after more grant money to to you know get more kids interested in these careers out here in Arizona than we've ever had before. So looking forward to it. It'll be fun.
0: No, that's, that's an amazing, I mean, that's an incredible mission. I mean, you're literally helping our future directly. Yeah. Like that. Absolutely. Again, if if we don't have these trades, we're, we're going to see what kind of trouble that we're in. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Jim. Thank you. But let's, let's sh- so shifting to, so obviously we hit that nail on the head probably quite a bit, <laughs> <laughs> but you're like, you have a pretty, you have a pretty, it's, I think it's more niche than I, and we said this before, it's more niche than. Yeah. It probably on the surface is perceived as, which is culture in manufacturing. Yeah. And culture in general is kind of a hot topic, right? Especially since people are coming back from COVID. A lot of businesses and corporations are they're making that, that focus, they're making culture a focus to help bring people back into the office and working more productively. And I think they really saw that as a pain point because they brought people back in. They're, they're yeah. not used to working in a team or being around people anymore. So culture has been kind of a, a big a big topic, but for you, I got a question though. For you, why specifically manufacturing culture?
1: Yeah, it's a great question Uh, because I love this industry. I mean, going back to how I got into this industry, walking into my first machine shop, um, there's something about the sound that metal makes when it's cutting other metal, right? When, When you hear that insert, cutting uh, a chip uh on a piece of metal uh or the the sounds of the CNC machine the smell of the coolant when you walk into a facility just got into my my blood man and uh my wife as I ended up going back and getting a bachelor's and then a an MBA um and you know taking on that debt but for for a purpose um it, my wife always said that she, she asked me if, if manufacturing was the best route to utilize these skill sets that I had developed. Right. And I, I've told her then, and I'll tell her now, if she were to ask, she doesn't bring it up anymore, but if she were to ask it, this industry is in my blood. I I can't not try and make this industry better. I believe in, what I've said earlier on this in this earlier segment right uh, manufacturing built the middle class and the middle class built this country and and mm-hmm. so I didn't serve in the military I'm not rich enough to financially support programs so the way that I am able to serve my country my neighborhood my locality my region whatever is by serving uh, as an ambassador, as an advocate for the manufacturing industry. I will tell anybody until I'm blue in the face uh, about jobs in this industry. Um, So while culture could have been taken more broad uh, as a concept, I really wanted to focus on the idea that manufacturing can be the robust industry that it needs to be.
0: Beautiful. Was there a problem that you specifically identified in manufacturing that culture could ultimately either fix or alleviate?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> uh, when I was working for the nonprofit, uh, it was 2019. I was going on a trip from, we went from Munich to Milan. We toured uh, five different manufacturing facilities over five days Um, and really uh, got to know some of the members of the nonprofit. Uh, We didn't take everybody. It was a limited trip, right? But the ones that were there, uh, I heard a lot of the, and this was pre COVID. uh, Nobody wants to work. Can't find anybody. And uh, started talking to some of those owners and, and managers and supervisors and that were on the trip and uh, about why they felt they couldn't find people. And it turns out that these people were paying employees like it was 1950. They were treating them like it was 1970, right? They weren't creating great places to work. Not to say that there isn't a need for more people in the industry, which we've already covered, but in order for people to start with a company and then stay with a company, there has to be an alignment, right? And that's where the culture comes in. Every company, pardon me, Zach, every company ultimately has a culture, whether they know it or not. It's... Mm -hmm. Not my job to judge whether a company's culture is healthy or not, because culture is based on the alignment of values between the organization and the individual employees. So what may be super healthy to me may be super toxic to you and vice versa, right? It's all on how we act individualistically and how our individualistic values align with whatever companies are out there. So my job, again, isn't to judge, hey, uh, manufacturer XYZ, you've got a horrible cu- culture. My job is to say, hey, manufacturer XYZ, you've had 40% turnover. Do you know why that is? No, okay, well, let's walk through. Do you have a defined mission vision, and values, right? because that is the bedrock to creating that whole healthy culture uh do you do exit interviews? do you do you know how is your onboarding process? There's a litany of things that create a culture within that framework, right, but ultimately, starting with do you have a mission, vision, and values? That's, that's a way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Cause then you know where you're pushing everybody and everybody knows where they're being led. If you yeah. don't have a North star, then they're, they're just there. Now they come to work and all in their mind, all they're doing is I'm drilling this hole or I'm doing this. I'm, there's no Absolutely. team cohesiveness. And actually since the last time we talked, I um kind of had a bit of an epiphany when it came to like manufacturing culture specifically. Cause again, I was so fast. It's so so specific, but it really is. Again, I'm not, I'm Canadian, so I'm not a huge, no, I'm not very knowledgeable in football, but it's almost, it's very much like a football team. Yeah. And I was at an event and Tom Brady was speaking and he said, culture was everything. Everybody plays their role, right? Yep. I'm the quarterback. I can't, I couldn't be a lineman. Yep. Both equally as important though. I couldn't be the Absolutely. running back, right? A running back couldn't be a lineman, right? Or whatever whatever it is, right? Do all the analogies you guys want. You guys know football mm-hmm. better than me. But when you're in, in many, everyone has to play, everyone has a role to play, right? And, and they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses, and you try to mitigate the weaknesses, play to your strengths. But just like a football team, you have a, everyone has the same goal. At least they should. Just to yeah. win a championship, win the game, support the team, do what's best for the team. And then in, in manufacturing where it's similar to football, where that starts to fall apart is when somebody cares about their stats more than the outcome the team creates. Yep. Right. So it, but it all starts with aligning, starts with the leader. Yep. Aligning everybody on that kind of that North Star sort of things. And you kind of answered sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Oh well, I was just gonna expand on that. It it's very similar to that, right? But lives can be at stake, right? So the difference between a football team and manufacturing is a football team isn't making parts that go in in an airplane thirty thousand feet in the air, or a mile below uh, sea level, or uh, you know into vehicles that we transport our children in every day. If we don't show up in manufacturing and are on our a game every day. We, we can put lives at risk depending on what industry we're in, right? There's medical device manufacturing, there's auto, there's aerospace, there's defense, all of that. If you have a bad day in, manu- in, in on a football field, you throw an interception, you lose a playoff game, the world continues, right? Mm-hmm. You have a bad day in manufacturing, you can potentially put lives at risk, right? So yeah. it's really super important for these companies to define that mission, vision, and values mm-hmm to get people to show up at their best every day because lives can be at risk.
0: Yeah, and there's a great story I just read about that and it was Winston Churchill during World War II where there was a lot of the the coal miners were going on strike because they wanted to be part of the glorified you know, the, they wanted to be in the military because they were glorified yeah. at the time. You know, they were
1: Absolutely. they were seen as
0: gods, right? And they they're stuck in the coal mine. And they they felt like they weren't contributing. So yep. they were, you know, the production was going down. There was, again, there was people, um, there was a little, little bit of riots apparently. But so what Winston Churchill did, and he's an amazing example of leadership, if you look at some of the things that he did oh, a absolutely. lot of the things that he did. But what he did is he brought a many of them over to a manufacturing plant. I can't remember what they were building, but he brought them over to the manufacturing plant and he explained to them, this is what, because you're doing this, we're able to do this. And because of this, you're saving their lives. You're helping us in in this effort. You're helping us. And if we don't, this is what could happen. This is the outcome. If you guys don't do what you do, you guys are running the ship. And if you guys, if this fails, we all fail. And then production, everybody went back with, they they understood their mission, They understood the importance of what they're doing and the outcome that it creates and the outcome if they don't do what they're doing. Right. So I think that's a great example of what you just alluded to of if as long as they like you have to have that in the forefront, this is the outcome that you're creating and this is what could happen if we fail. Yeah.
1: And, mm. and let's let's be real, everybody fails, right? Um failure is inevitable. It, it's a certainty in life. Nobody's perfect a hundred percent of the time. It's how do you learn from that? How quickly can you catch it? And how you know how quickly can you catch it? How are you accountable for it and how quickly can you learn from it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you don't catch it before it goes to the OEM, if you're, you know, tier two machine shop, if if you don't catch that failure until it makes it to the OEM, then it could go into a vehicle, right? Let's use auto manufacturing as an example. If you catch it in your facility, but you don't take, accountability for it, if you don't take responsibility for it, then it can still end up going out because nobody may not know that you've made a bad part, right? And how quickly are you learning from it? That's how that's defining your character. And and how are you able to grow from mistakes that you make instead of beat yourself up uh, and and say, oh, I, I made the mistake. Uh, are you able to say okay I should have approached the the work piece from this angle with this feed and speed instead of this one and put those notes into the system so you don't make the same mistake the next time right yeah uh, that's that's so we can't we can't harp on the fact that failure is bad because then people won't want to get into this trade either it's how do you check for failure and how do you move on from failure that I think is, is important as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's only, it's, well, I mean, it's only failure if you don't learn from it, but I think especially in manufacturing when the stakes are higher, it's only a failure if you don't have a process on which you learn from the failures, in which you implement the improvement yeah. upon the, infa- the failure. I think like you can learn, you can learn from it. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> okay. But now what's the process. So we don't like, what, exactly. what's the, What's the documentation? Who has to get involved? What's who? What kind of conversation? Do do? Who makes the decisions and all this yep. kind of stuff? So, having when you're in a manufacturing setting and you're running a plant, it's okay. We identified a failure. Now, what are my What's my process to identify what's the cause of it, and then what's my Absolutely. process to make sure it doesn't happen again, so we can get back to that? Because I mean, the goal really, I mean, what's the six segments like ninety nine point nine nine seven or nine nine six percent success. Yep. How can I make that 998? Nine, nine, exactly. How can I make nine, it nine right? It's, yep. it's, and then that could be the difference, right? Between one yep. in a thousand and one in 10,000. Yep. Right? Absolutely. So, what you kind of alluded to this, that like it's none of our business to identify what is healthy culture for this company and this company, especially if they're so yep. different, right? But based on a lot of your conversations, because obviously this is the, uh, you know, the root point of your, your podcast, but based on the the conversations you've had, the people you've had on, what is, what is like a good or a few good main indicators that like, okay, this company has a healthy culture, even though it might be different than this one, but it's still for this company, this is a healthy culture.
1: Yeah. So, uh, a couple of things that always jump out at me when I walk into a facility, right. Is, um, a, uh, Are the machinists or machine operators, if it's not a a precision machining shop, are the operators or machinists uh, able to interact with guests? Uh, I know as soon as I walk into a facility, how their culture is based on whether I have machinists turn around from their machines, look up at me, uh, or if they're looking at their shoes because they're afraid to interact with the guest that's on the floor, right? Um, That's the number one indicator to me, whether it's a healthy place to work or not. Number two is, are the mission vision values on the wall, right? Uh, Are these something that you guys not only Talk about, but you look at every day, and you live every day. If those three things are there, and they're lived, and they're they're seen every day, and they're practiced, then there's a, a good culture. The third thing I look for, uh, I I always look at the bathrooms at manufacturing facilities. How clean are the bathrooms? Uh, You can tell a whole lot about how much somebody cares about the company they work for uh, based on the quality that they leave the bathroom in. If they trash the bathroom, they have very little respect for the organization that they're working for. And there's a lot of work to be done there. If the bathrooms are clean and tidy, and people are willing to clean up after themselves, then there's a pretty good culture there, right? And those are just surface level, what I look to kind of gauge how deep I need to dive into cultural conversations. If I walk into a facility and Machinists are high fiving me as I walk in the door, and there's mission, vision, and values everywhere, and the bathrooms are clean. I take a much different approach than the opposite scenario, mm-hmm. right?
0: Gotcha. At that point, you're playing more defense. How do we keep this and how do we grow this as opposed Absolutely. to how do we create it? Mm. Absolutely. How, what's like, a, this, this is an interesting question that popped into my head. So, what would it be, if you're a manager, you're, you're running it, you're, you're a plant manager, how do you identify, because again, a lot of people want to hide, right? If they're unhappy in their job or or they have, yeah. you know, they're, they're complaining about something. Sometimes they'll just keep it to themselves. Like it's not my business. I'm just going to keep, keep to my lane sort of thing. But what is a good indicator that these plant managers can kind of identify like, okay, I need to work on like culture's culture is an issue. This is something I need to focus on right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, my advice is always. If you have to ask that question, then you need to focus on culture um, right uh, but and that's kind of tongue in cheek. I think everybody should focus on their culture, whether they've got a great one or not, uh, whether they've got the culture that they want or not, right I guess is is a better way to put it because uh I could walk into a shop that's you know high fives, clean bathrooms. Mission, vision, values are on the wall, but they don't have the culture they want. They've got a great culture, but they don't have the culture they want, right? So uh, a lot of companies, you know, they can't define what their culture currently is. And they also can't define what the culture is that they want. They just know they want more revenue. They know they want more uh, spindle utilization. They know they want less scrap. They know they want less turnover. They know they want these things. They don't know how to frame their culture to accomplish those things.
0: Mm, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like your culture has to fit the outcome you're trying to achieve. Similar to like the hiring concepts, so we have a framework for you know hiring key players. As a lot of times these. Businesses or business owners or employers or managers, they go out and they hire for a role, but they don't actually understand or they haven't identified, they're not clear on what success in that role really looks like. What is it going to take to succeed? What's the outcome we're looking for? They just see, okay, I need to hire a sales manager. So I'm going to go find somebody who has sales manager on the resume and has a few okay. years of experience, but they don't have it very clearly defined. We need this type of avatar, this type of person to achieve this specific outcome. So, same yep. thing with culture. We need this specific type of culture because we need this specific outcome. I love that example. You could walk into a manufacturing plant; everyone's high fiving each other, you know, they're they're hugging, they're, they're you know talking shit to each other. Everyone's getting along, but that's not conducive to maybe it's running a tight ship and increasing revenue yep. while decreasing you know defects type yep. of thing. Absolutely, right? Yep. You no, know, that, that's that's a real that's really great advice. Really, really great advice. Um, but Jim. I always have a question. I have a few questions that I end with, nah, my friend. All right, I love it. But Jim, what is the next summit that you are chasing, my friend? Uh,
1: that's a great question, Zach. And and it's kind of, uh, I mean, what a better place to announce it than on your podcast. Um, I am going through a transition with my company right now. Uh, mm. And so I am going from Uh, more of the consulting based side of the culture, which has been a Sisyphean journey at best. Uh, I push water uphill every day. Um, I've started partnering with products, goods, software, whatever, uh, that promote healthy culture. And so I'm really pouring a a lot more effort into being a solutions provider, um, That being said, the summit that I'm chasing, Zach, uh, is to scale that to the point where I can do the podcast more full-time. That's the summit that I'm chasing. Mm I uh, have found so much joy in creating the content that I create and the impact that it's having on the people who listen and watch and read now, uh, that I want to get my world to where that's what I'm working on full time, where I'm devoting more of my time to that than, uh, the, the other stuff.
0: I love it. And anything we can do to support that? We got you. That's amazing. Identifying what you truly want to do and the passion for it. Get the plan and go for it. Yeah. I love it. But where can everybody find you? Take 30 seconds. Take a minute, even plug, plug away, my friend.
1: <laughs> uh, awesome. So, yeah, I can be found uh, TCO strategies dot com. Uh, that's the solution side. I'm going to say it instead of the consulting side. It's the solution side of what I do. Um, you can find everything from apprenticeship programs to uh, learning continuums to, uh, software platforms to assessments, uh, and LMS trainings right there on the TCO strategies website. Uh, you can find me at the manufacturing culture podcast website. Uh, probably the easiest and best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I am there as James parentheses, Jim Mayer. Um, just because I've gone by both professionally in the last decade, I felt the need to have both of them on there. Right. So, um, that's the easiest place. Uh, you can always just send me a, a good old fashioned email, Jim at manufacturing culture com. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to, uh, to connecting with anybody who listens to this if anybody listens to this and wants to reach out please do uh i'd love to just have conversations this is what i love to do just like zach loves having these conversations i do too that's why he and i got along so well uh from literally the minute we started chatting
0: yeah it didn't take long it didn't take no, long john not at all no but we will link all of that below uh, check out his podcast i was on it he has a lot of other great episodes on there and again we'll link all those things below let's blow up his podcast so we can start focusing on his passion projects jim thank you so You're much away. for being here
1: thank you zach appreciate it buddy
0: thank you for watching this episode of the summit chasers podcast i really hope that you enjoyed you were inspired you learned something that you can use to go and chase whatever your next summit may be be sure to like and comment your takeaways from the episode below Also, follow us on all social media platforms under Summit Chasers Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to turn on your notifications so you can be notified when we drop new content like how-to videos, business best practices, motivation, and personal development strategies. And until next time, keep chasing your summit. I'll see you on the next one.